Our epistle lesson or our gospel lesson this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke. We're reading chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He, also, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once had a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. They said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we gather around your word this morning, we ask that you would give us understanding of Jesus' parables of what he ministered to those men sitting around the table with him. And may we hear your voice even today, and may you instruct us and guide us. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. 
It was a full week at Christ Church this week. Uh, You will notice um, a bit later in the service when we get to our congregational prayers that we have a lot of people who are sick and not doing well right now. And so please be mindful of that. You heard an announcement prior to the service that Rob Hyde, the head of our deacons, had a stroke on Friday. He is doing well. He is celebrating his 66th birthday today um, in the hospital. Uh, But uh, the reversal drugs that they were able to give him have turned back all the effects of the stroke. Uh, So it's quite good news. Um, But the week was full of people with sickness. It was full of blessing as well. Uh, Thursday, I had spent the day studying, and I was away from the office, and I didn't have my iPhone charger, okay? And uh, so my phone died. And then I was having dinner with a friend, and when I paid my bill, I put my phone down, and I left it. And I got home and realized what I'd done. I searched the car and said, no, I know right where I left it. So I called the restaurant and asked if they had seen anything. And of course, they had not seen anything, but it was fairly dark in there. And they said, call back tomorrow at 10 o'clock and it'll most likely have turned up. So I called the restaurant at 10 o'clock on Friday morning and asked if they had uh, found any iPhones and that there was one I was looking for whose battery was dead. Uh, They went to the lost and found. They said, no, but, you know, the cleaning crew came last night, and you may want to call them. And I knew at this point that uh, my phone was done (laughs) and that uh, I needed to report to my wife that this was not going, this phone was not resurrecting um, and that it was time to go to the store. Fortunately, the iPhone 7 was being released on that day, and I promise you, uh, (laughs) it's not a... (laughs) not intentional. I'm not much of a technology guy. (laughs) So I've set her for the $100 off on the six. You know, I mean, this is great, right? Um, But one of the things that I did was I needed to erase my phone. This is Friday morning. Um, It was my day off. I was working already, so I was a little bit cranky, and now I'm dealing with my missing iPhone. So they have this new uh, gizmo that you can do online where you can find and track your iPhone. So I thought, I'm going to get this sucker. (laughs) They charged it up last night, and I'm going to find it. So I did. I went online to track my iPhone. I clicked on my number, thinking that I was now tracking um, all my devices. Um, And I noticed that my phone was near the town center. And then it moved to Costco. And you can make the phone make noises, and then you can shut it down and send a message, and the person is completely crippled with that phone. And so I typed in the message that I wanted them to receive. (laughs) And I erased the iPhone. I called my wife a few minutes later, and I discovered that she was at Costco. And on my iPhone account, um, her phone was uh, being tracked as well. I had no clue about that. And, um, and, so <laughs> and so I eradicated her phone. <laughs> and my problems grew worse. <laughs> but what was happening is I was looking at a screen full of data, and I just misinterpreted it. I thought that was my phone moving around in the town center. And I thought my wife was at home, and I said, I'm going to get this person, you know? And I was interpreting the data through my own vengeance and what I wanted to see, and so I zapped it. 
And when it comes to Luke chapter 14, when Jesus is once again interacting with the Pharisees, we are looking at a situation in which data is being misinterpreted. Jesus is once again invited to a dinner after a meeting at the synagogue, and here he is gathering with the religious authorities of the day, the lawyers and the Pharisees. They were fond of having these dinner parties like this. Luke tells us that they were watching him carefully, which means ominously. They were attempting to trap him, but they bring him to the dinner, and Jesus heals a man once again on the Sabbath. They didn't like that he was doing this, and so he responds to them with uh, regulations from the Mosaic law, explaining that he had the right and prerogative to do it. You notice that the man has dropsy. This is an abnormal accumulation of fluids in the connective tissue. It was a disease known in the ancient world. It's the disease still known today. They didn't like that Jesus restored the man, but they also didn't know what to say. In verse 6, Luke writes, and they could not reply to these things. But there's also a great deal of irony that uh, we can miss in the way that the story is told here. Dropsy in the ancient world could refer to a physical disease, but it was also commonly used to refer to a moral disease, that those who were greedy and covetous were often said to have dropsy. It would be a dropsy of the spirit, someone who is bloated, okay? And so this is the way that the term was often used in this world. And you'll see, if you flip over to Luke chapter 16, Luke actually tells us that the Pharisees were lovers of money. Look in verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things. And so Jesus here is healing a man of dropsy, physical disease, and he is now engaging a group of people who have spiritual dropsy, who are covetous and greedy, and they're greedy for all kinds of things. He heals one, and then he's attempting to heal the other, to bring them into their right mind, that he could reorient them. Because these religious authorities were the representatives of the church at that point, and yet they were completely, profoundly missing it. They were missing all the data that the healings were taking place, the gospel was being announced, everything was unfolding in front of them, and then they're looking at it and judging it. And Jesus knew that they were absolutely missing the moment. And so he seeks to reorient them in the middle of all their confusion and misinterpretation. He also has a word for us today. Because you see, we can't just look at the Pharisees in history and think that we are immune. That we as the church today can continue to suffer from the same spiritual disease. That it can afflict us as well. And so Jesus' healing words to the Pharisees continue to echo to us today and they address us. And he desires specifically to reorient us on three things. The first He seeks to reorient our self-perception. Jesus tells a parable as he watches the Pharisees come into the dinner. And he notes that they were seeking the positions of honor at the table. 
What they were specifically looking for was to sit at the right or the left of the host because what it meant is that you were the most significant guest at the party. And in the Pharisees' cultural world, that social position and status was everything. And Jesus notes them playing the game. He sees all their social cues as they cast their eyes around and as they try to get themselves in position for the proper seat. And he tells them that they were not to do this. He says, rather than put yourself in the highest seat and then be demoted by the host, why don't you put yourself in the lowest seat? And then you can be upgraded. It's like when you get bumped from economy to first class. And so he was saying, do that rather than be demoted from first class down to economy. And so Jesus gives them this advice, but when he does so, he's not just talking about social etiquette. And this is what we have to catch about what Jesus is doing with the Pharisees. Because he understands that they have a social misperception, that they are eager for position, that they are looking for authority from other people. But this disease didn't just inhabit the social sphere. That they were proud, that they were arrogant, that they were seeking this position, and they were doing the same thing not only with men, but also with God. And so Jesus closes in verse 11. He says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And that these men were exalting themselves. And Jesus is saying, you will be humble. You will be demoted. Because they were spiritually sick in front of God. That they were missing it. That the kingdom of God was not a matter of pride and self-exaltation. But the kingdom of God was a matter of humility. And if you're humble in front of God, then yes, you will be exalted. It's what David says in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Isaiah says it again in chapter 57, verse 15, what we read prior to confession. You could find it again in Isaiah 66, that humility and contrition in front of God is what God values. Several years ago when the Colson family first arrived here, and we began making some changes in the worship service at Christ Church. One person who I was very fond of came to me and said, Chuck, what's up with all this up and down? Why all the up and down in the service? And I want you to preach a little bit longer. That's what we're there for. We're there for the sermon. And I took it as a good thing that he wanted to hear me preach a little bit longer, um, but uh, I refused to do so. Um, And then I had to explain, well, you know, in a worship service, actually what we're trying to do is do more than just listen to a sermon. A sermon is an important part of a worship service, but a worship service is composed of more than that. And at the beginning of your week, what we are seeking and attempting to do is reorient you to the God that we know, so that the week ahead is shaped by that encounter. And what we do in worship teaches you what God really values. And so the up and down moments, particularly the ones at the beginning of the service, are about standing up and giving praise to the holy God and then going down realizing that you're not worthy to be in his presence. 
And then we get to stand up again and give thanks to him because he's accepted us. That's what all the up and down is about. And those are the rhythms that must deeply inform the contrite and humble soul. Knowing that we're not worthy and yet God accepts us because of his son, not because of anything that we do. And friends, this is the reorientation Jesus would work in us. It's the reorientation that religious people often need. It's the reorientation the Pharisees desperately needed. And so he wants to reorient our self-perception, and in doing so, reorient us in our relationship with God. Now, the second thing that he addresses here is he seeks to reorient our motives. If you look in verses 12 through 14, There is another dialogue here with the man who had invited Jesus, actually, to the banquet. And what Jesus does here is he's seeking to reorient the man's priorities because he had invited those who he found to be socially significant. And look what Jesus says. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, does this mean that you can never have a family dinner? No. Jesus is speaking in very strong terms, correcting an abuse that these men who were so caught up in position And then they would use their table and they would use their hospitality only to advance themselves. This is what they were interested in. And Jesus is diagnosing that and saying that they're misusing hospitality. That hospitality should never be extended only to those people who you have something to gain from. If that's what your table at your home is used for, Jesus is saying that's wrong. That yes, it can be extended to superiors, it can be extended to family and friends, but it's also good to be very mindful of using your hospitality to bring in those from whom you have nothing to gain. Now, I have benefited from my relationship with my wife in many areas, but this is one of the chief ones for me. When we first moved to Washington, D.C., we were gathering a core group to be part of our church plant. And there were many different people that we were interacting with, and you never quite know where people are going to land at that point. And so there was a lot of dinners, there were a lot of parties, there were a lot of lunchtime meetings and breakfast discussions, and it was an all-in kind of thing in which we were both fully engaged in ministering to others. And we had one 40-year-old bachelor over to the house. He worked for a very secret organization, part of our government, and he was a very lonely man. His job had incredible pressures to it. He worked long hours, and he worked on important top-secret kind of stuff. And so he had become somewhat of a loner, didn't have many relationships, was very bright, And we had him over to dinner one night. And as the dinner went on, things got stranger and stranger. Began to learn that he was one of the top bloggers in the black, dark blogosphere. 
and that he wrote about demographic futures and all kinds of things that were apocalyptic and about the end of the world. I am sitting there not quite knowing. I'm at a loss for words about how to handle this conversation. He gives us a video to watch and says, no, you must watch this. He says, and then we need to do dinner again. And much to my dismay, my wife says, yes, give us the video. We would love to have you over again to discuss it. I'm looking at her like, woman, are you crazy? This is the most awkward dinner I have ever attended. It's in my own house and I feel like I don't belong. And then she commits us. She tells me after, we're going to have him over every week. He's profoundly lonely. He needs community. And you know what? Over the next year, we did that. He became part of my kids' lives. He loved them. He became integrated into our church. He actually married. And he became this beautiful, healthy 40-year-old. It was amazing. But all because someone had a vision for using hospitality in a way to minister to someone who had nothing to give to them. Friends, that's what we can do. And Jesus wants to correct our motives that can be so misshapen there. The third thing that Jesus does here, though, is that he also seeks to reorient our priorities. The meal continues to unfold, and one man blurts out. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. That may sound like a strange thing to us today, but what this man was referring to was Isaiah chapter 25, where it is there talked about a great banquet that God was going to spread with well-aged wine, with abundant food, and that on that mountain, God was then going to remove the veil of death, the covering that covered all the nations, and God was going to wipe away the tears from our eyes. When you began talking about banquets and the kingdom of God, everyone in that world thought of Isaiah 25. They knew what was happening here. And so the man announces that blessing, and then Jesus turns it. And he tells a story about a great banquet. He's still referring to Isaiah 25. And the way that great banquets worked in that day is that invitations were sent out. A messenger would go several days ahead of the banquet and invite people. Those who come, who could come, would say yes, and the reservation would return to the house. And then the food would be prepared for the number of reservations. And when the food was finally ready, you actually see the exact line in verse 17. Come, for everything is now ready. And so the servant would go back out, not with an invitation, but just saying the time is now. We're ready for you. The banquet is prepared. The fattened calf has been slaughtered. Everything is now ready. And it was highly indecent at that point and inconsiderate. And it was rude to then say, no, I'm not coming. You've already accepted it. But yet this is what we see happens. In verse 18, Jesus says, they all began to make excuses. 
The first of them said, I have bought a field. The second said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. The third said, I have married a wife. The first two ended their excuse with, please may I be excused. The third one didn't even bother. Now these things, field, oxen, and wives, they are all fine gifts from God. They come to us from his hand for us to enjoy. But these gifts are to direct us to him. They are never to distract us from him. And this is what Jesus was saying was unfolding, that the banquet was spread, that the gospel of the kingdom was being announced and the Pharisees were missing it. And they were missing it because they were laden with excuses that they were drunk on the things of this world, that they were captivated by it, and that they loved those things so much that they were not directing them to God, but rather they had become this enormous distraction in which they were drawn into every other pursuit rather than God. Perhaps the chief subject that they talked about. It's an irony almost too thick to express. Augustine who was the Bishop of Hippo, fourth century, he wrote a book for preachers, for pastors. It's called Teaching Christianity. And he was giving advice about how to commend the faith. And so he's instructing all the preachers and evangelists who are part of his area about how to best execute their task. And he gives an enormous amount of attention attention in that book to understanding God's good gifts that come to us in the creation. Things like fields and things like oxen, things like wives. And he draws a metaphor and he says that these are vessels. And they are vessels designed to deliver us to a destination. He says, but the problem with the human heart is that we confuse the vessel with the destination and we become captivated by it. And this thing that was to direct us to God then distracts us. And rather than leading us to the fountain and source, God's good gifts become a source of sin. And this is what Jesus is saying happens to the Pharisees. And that we're all prone to it as well. That it comes with our fallen nature and that we easily become distracted by God's good gifts And we can become so distracted that we begin to misinterpret the data and we completely then miss what God is actually doing in the world. Now, we may still have religious decorum. We may be dressed up on Sunday. We may be in the right place at the right time. We may know the right things even to say. The Pharisees certainly did. And that's why it's so frightening. Jesus says they're missing it. They were missing that the banquet was being spread, that God's invasion into the world in which he's reconciling heaven and earth through his Messiah, Jesus, was unfolding, and that death was going to be destroyed and removed, and that God was going to wipe away the tears from all faces. Jesus is saying, that is now unfolding in front of you, and you can't see it. And so, friends, we have to allow him to reorient our priorities for us to value the kingdom that he reveals. And that requires us to ask the question, 
Which of God's good gifts fills you with excuses? It's a personal question. It's a question that each of us will answer differently. But which one is it? Which one can drag you off in your priorities? Which one can distract you the most powerfully? And perhaps the most important question for us, though, after answering that one, is to say, what does God do about this situation? What exactly does he do? Jesus gives us the answer in the parable. He carries on with his banquet. You see, the banquet is not about the guest. The banquet for God is about the host. He's celebrating his own glory and his own attributes and his own magnificent grace. That's what is happening in Isaiah 25 as he removes death and wipes tears from his eye, from the eyes of his people. And so the banquet goes on. And so he sends out the messenger into the highways and the byways to find anyone that he can. And he says, compel them to come. Why does the servant have to compel them? Because of course those people would have not thought that they would ever be invited to such a great banquet. But that's who God wants present. Those who don't think they're worthy to be there. The arrogant and the exalted will not come in. But Jesus knew they'd be the cripple and the lame and the blind and those who can't see. Those who were outcast and thought they were disgusting and never worthy of this God. That's who Jesus is collecting in. Those are the ones who can be humble. Those are the ones who can allow this reorientation to take place. And friends, we have to make sure we don't get lost along the way and miss it. That we don't misinterpret the data. That we fail to allow the reorientation of the kingdom to work in our hearts. And so ask Him to work with you. Seek that you not miss it. Because this is the banquet that you do not want to forsake. It is the great culmination of all of God's purposes in creation. And He invites you to it. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for our Lord Jesus, for His insight into the human heart, for His understanding of us and all of our brokenness and the ways that we miss Him. We ask that You would reorient us. We need Your grace and we need Your help. May we be humble. May we know how to be hospitable. And may we know what it is not to be distracted by Your good gifts to make those our priorities. And so would we receive your invitation willingly and gladly and come with the humble, the lame, the cripple, and the poor, and would we come with thanksgiving in our hearts, receiving all that you've given to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.